This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Furminger, and today... I am so happy, I am delighted to welcome Natasha Burnett to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Natasha joined the cast of Hallmark's When Calls the Heart last season as Minnie Canfield, matriarch of the Canfield family and wife to Joseph Canfield, played by friend of the pod, Viv Leacock. Over the course of the series' eighth season, Minnie was revealed to be loving, fiercely protective, level-headed, and really talented in the kitchen, like so much more talented than I'm in the kitchen. So I was like, all the respect to Minnie. And fans, known far beyond their fandom as the Hardys, embraced Minnie and all of the Canfields, who also happened to be the first black family to be featured on the long-running show. So that's Minnie Canfield. But who is Natasha Burnett, besides a shining light on When Calls the Heart? Well, I know that she played a priestess of the moon on Olympus and Athena on Unreal. I know that she spent a lot of time on stage. I know that she was born in Surrey, England. And honestly, it is bonkers to watch Minnie Canfield open her mouth. And then I'm like, whoa, Minnie's from England. And I know that Viv and two of his kids, Vienna and Elias, who play Angela and Cooper on When Calls the Heart, consider Natasha an honorary leacock. But that's pretty much all I know. Well, today, we are all going to get to know this bright light of Hope Valley even better. Natasha Burnett, hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just, uh, it's just really great to actually be able to speak to you. Yeah, we're, we're here, we're in person, we're speaking through plexiglass. Yes. So like... <laughs> I mean, this is our first time meeting, and we've only just been communicating over emails and DMs. And so, what's your story, Natasha? But pretty much, like, what, where, how, where did you come from? What, what is, what is going on with you? You know? Okay, that's that's not the kind of interviewer I am. My first actual question is, and it's, this is a huge question, especially in the age of a pandemic. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> no, I. Uh, you know, I'm able to speak to my, my family every day in the UK and things like that. So that's been really, really helpful over the last couple of years. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll go home when I can. And oh, see so you haven't, you haven't been back. I haven't, no. So that's been, uh, it's, it's felt like a really long haul because I have two young nephews. Oh. And um, the youngest 
I came back to Canada when he was four months. Mm-hmm. So it's been like he's going to be two in a month. So I've missed out quite a lot. Yeah. Thankfully, though, I mean, technology is awesome. The fact that you can, you, we can Zoom and, and all of that and FaceTime and, and see. But what have been some of your your coping strategies for getting through the pandemic? Like, have you been baking bread and watching Tiger King and playing <laughs> Wordle and all the various things that have come and go? Singing, there's this time where everybody was singing sea shanties. <laughs> that was like a stage of the pandemic. Do you remember that? The sea shanty <laughs> Phase. Phase. <laughs> yeah, so how have you been getting through? Well, the funny thing is, as soon as COVID kind of hit, is when uh, season eight of When Calls the Heart yeah. started shooting. And that took up pretty much the most most of 2020. Yeah. And um, then I guess by the end of 2020, I was just trying to get myself sort of back together after filming continuously for so long. And then I would started... 2021 I started booking a few things early in the year and it's almost like work had me you know carried me through and distracted me enough during the time which was actually brilliant and then you know I had my family to speak to in between that and the time has felt like it's actually gone much faster than I think it has. That is hey it's great when work can can be that as well and for you it wasn't just just work but it was new work new people new corsets I don't know I'm assuming (laughs) long dresses and and getting the hair and all of that right so and then you know being out there in Langley and and have making this new life that is amazing and I promise Hardys I know some of you are listening we are going to spend a lot of time talking about when calls the heart (laughs) and and the Canfields and I'm I'm gonna try to get some season nine info she's not gonna tell me anything about that Um, but that's gonna come a little bit later First thing I want to do, though, is some time travel. Okay. I want to, and because for, you're from the UK, mm-hmm. I'm I'm just I'm deciding we're going in the TARDIS. We're getting in the TARDIS, and we're going <laughs> back to your childhood. I want to know, like, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you want to be when you grew up? So, um, I when I was young, I always obsessed about dress up I don't remember Mm. some of it but my mum always remembers me coming down in some blanket wrapped around me as someone I've pretended to be as usual Mm -hmm. Um, but funnily (laughs) enough when I was younger I went from wanting to be a hairdresser to an interior designer Hmm. and um, I ended up training as a beauty therapist as well Wow. So I started so I huh, sorry. I, I mean you saw look at my face because I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to slot that into my I mean my very limited understanding of who you are. So I I've never actually even heard the term beauty therapist. Like is that like an esthetician or is that Oh gosh, yeah. You, yeah. you guys are something different here. Yeah. So uh yes. <laughs> so yes, I believe it is an esthetician and uh so I trained in that in cosmetology. Wow. Oh, you have skills. Um, I love that. Yeah, basically my mother had suggested I didn't want to go to uni and she tried her best to get me there. Uni is what they call university you know, oh, in oh, the UK. <laughs> I'm married married to a British guy, so. Are you? Oh yeah. Gosh, oh, look, weird. you're well chuffed now. <laughs> chuffed now. You'll translate for me. I anytime will. I, I will. say anything. Yes. No one will understand. So you didn't want to go to uni. 
also, um, my mum had dragged me to the university with when my sister was looking in the hopes that it would convince me that I may want to go. Mm. Um, it's it definitely didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she had said, well, could you perhaps consider a trade that you are interested in? And it's something that you can fall back on. Well, not fall back on, but maybe have something that's second that you enjoy as well that could also possibly run alongside if you want to be in the entertainment industry that you can possibly do both. Yeah. Um, Very practical. And honestly, as a parent now, like I totally see that. Like you want your kids to, you want them to be happy. Yes. But you also want them to be like safe and and secure, right? And there's something very exciting, but also like leaping without a net about being in the entertainment industry, right? Especially as a performer. So I totally get that. You literally are back and forth all the time you just have these ebbs and flows in the industry and even though there's moments you're like why am I doing this you just will keep doing it regardless you'll do it for those moments where you're like wow I am seen and I am fully engaged and I mean I'm not an actor but I love actors and like I love hearing about you know chasing that feeling okay I do want to ask you a bit more about when you were um, studying beauty therapy yes Um, what were you like okay so background well one I love going to spas like I love having my facials or as my daughter calls them fancy face washes I love um, massage I love pedicures manicures all that and I used to actually also write for nail pro magazine day spa magazine oh. so I have a little bit of an understanding so like what were you like what did you like to do, to learn about from that world and also like was there anything that you hated to do and hated learning about let me see I Funnily enough, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed doing the beauty therapy because, for example, with the hairdressing, I did actually go and start training and just doing the washing and things. And I realized this side wasn't for me. And I really thought hairdressing definitely was something. Yeah. And then I was halfway with the beauty therapy because I thought, well, if I didn't really like the hairdressing this kind of in the same vein maybe I still but no beauty therapy I definitely this is for me I love doing massage mm. will always love doing massage all hail massage therapists RMTs and our hands yeah oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> wow there's always a moment where I get a massage and I, I got them largely I started getting them after I had my daughter but like where like there's that one moment of like oh Oh, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to relax. And then all of a sudden that moment happens. I'm like, I, I why didn't I do this before? before? Like, why have I waited so long? <laughs> Magical. And it's hard. It's hard. It's very physical work, right? It is very physical work. Sort of like the muscles in my forearms and stuff. And I didn't even pay that much attention to it initially. Yeah. And you don't realize, especially with massage, the pressure that you are required to use. And still, I actually had a preference to massage men over women hmm. which was very strange considering they like a lot more pressure yeah um but at the same time one of our teachers who had started this school she had very bad arthritis in her hands mm-hmm. and um you know the minute i saw her hands and i just thought oh my gosh if i continue down this road it's gonna, yeah. as much as I love doing it, 
Um, but you know, facials and things, they're not as physically taxing. Yeah. Um, but I love doing facials. Manicures I love. Pedicure. <laughs> you know, Sometimes. when my husband found out what a pedi- what is actually involved in a pedicure, right. he was like, "You literally will go and pay somebody to scrape off half your forehead, <laughs> like, and it feels great." Like, it does. That's it really the thing. does. So all the, all the well that you were you were studying um, and learning all these things, like, where was work being a performer? And re- like, was that like you were like, "I'm learning this, but my love is really there." What I really want to do is there. You know, what role did, you know, what, I don't know, like, where, where did that occupy? Like, where did that, where yeah. was that in your life at that yeah. time? Yeah, so, um, let me see. When I was 17, I joined a theatre group called the Younger Generation Theatre Group. And my friend had introduced me to it. And on Sundays, you would go to the church hall and just rehearse. And, um basically it's really for parents to come and it's sort of I would say about from six to 18 is Mm -hmm. when you normally would do it Uh, so I started late but it was just to see how I enjoyed it and obviously I was still doing my A-levels so that's like a higher level of education there like it's what they need to do to go to university they don't we don't have (laughs) A-levels it's like the equivalent of the SATs in the in America oh okay we don't have anything like that in Canada (laughs) I'm the official Natasha Burnett translator. (laughs) (laughs) So you were still doing your A levels. Um, Still doing my A levels. Um, So yeah, every Sunday I would go, and um, first year I had my little solo to do. That was really nice, and it was a it was a great introduction into the industry. I would say. I also then did it when I was eighteen. And uh, that was my last year. And that's when I said to my mum that I think I want to to be in the industry. And that's when she said, you know, I really suggest that you have something else as well. Yeah. And she liked the idea of beauty therapy because even now I'm I'm thinking, well, because I did cosmetology and things like that, it can always be something that I can get involved in, yeah. uh, whether it's creating a product or assisting with something like that, you know, because I have the background on it. So that's always been, I'm I'm really happy that I listened to my mother. Yeah. (laughs) There's no need for translation for that. That's (laughs) (laughs) cross-cultural. That's every culture. Exactly. (laughs) Listen to your mother. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. So, I mean, I guess that was actually, she was actually very, I didn't go through, I don't know how the courses are here. (laughs) but normally you will go to a college course that's about three years Mm -hmm. whereas in the UK they do also have private schools as well where they truncated the course into 10 months so it meant by the time I was sort of just 19 I had finished and when I'd finished I was then able to join extras agencies, background agencies. Yeah. That's when I really started getting into it because then she was content with me having my qualification that I got that was an international qualification as well. Okay. So you could work internationally if you wanted. You can go on yes. cruise ships and work on spas and cruise ships and exactly. all that kind of stuff. Okay. But however, so you got what your mom wanted. You listened to mother, mm-hmm. cross-cultural. Um but then you start being a background performer and an extra. And so t- t- tell me about that period of your life then. And what, what, like, what were you learning during that time? So most of that, I would say, I think that's the initial acting phase when, when youth 
<laughs> you as an actor think you're far closer to the destination than you really are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know... You, we need to fool ourselves about things at certain <laughs> points, right? It's what exactly, keeps us going. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I booked my first job on a show that we had called The Bill, a police drama. I was going to say, that's a police drama. <laughs> In English language, yeah, in the English. No, that's a, but that's a, that's a huge show. The Bill was a huge show. It was, yes. And um, I was actually very lucky because, although it was a background agency, all background agencies um, in England, you can also f- be featured yeah. and interact with the main characters. And I was lucky because my first job on there I was uh, so I, I think it was the murderer goes into a club with you know a, a girl on each arm and I was one of them and then ah. I was like oh I get I get airtime. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want at that point in your career I think I think then Honestly, I think I thought it was easier than it actually was mm. because that happened and I thought, oh, I, I, I get featured. Oh, this must mean something happens next, yeah. you know, and it really doesn't. You know, I just waited for the background agency to call again. Um, I had also, you see, I'd only done that for, let's see, three, about three months. And I was hopping in and out of different parts of the industry. So there was modeling that I was like seeing, like commercial modeling, if I could do that, because I'm short. Um, And then theater as well. Mm. And that is how I ended up seeing an audition for a Motown show Mm. in the paper and applying to go and audition for that. So it was all sort of, um, I would say it wasn't, and none of it was really planned. It was definitely all about, let me see what's available. We have a paper in the UK called The Stage and it has all the information for auditions and Mm. anything in the entertainment industry. So what's going on in the theatre world, how a show is being reviewed, if new shows are coming up, auditions for shows, cruise ships, anything really. And it's very good for the entertainment industry just to get informed. And that's where I saw the ad. And then there's also websites where you could find things like that as well. And so for me, it was just trying to to see what fit for me and what I was enjoying. Yeah. And what I would enjoy. Um, So I guess at that point, film and television wasn't necessarily my original goal. Um, I think it was just to see what I wanted to do because actually also at that time, it's all coming to me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had met a producer who had wanted to promote me just as a music artist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when all these things are coming to you, you know, I was like 1920 and it all seems, like, oh, yes, yes, let's try this, let's try that. Um, and I started doing it you know he started producing tracks and we started trying to do songs and I think I just realized that that definitely wasn't for me it didn't feel right it didn't it didn't feel right as much as I love singing and I love music doing it that way it just didn't feel like something Hmm. I was comfortable with yeah I mean on one hand it was like it it was like you're you're doing this like scattershot approach and that could be like I'm not focusing on anything but on the other hand how else are you going to know Right. what it is that that you like and what feels right you know so um 
how'd you get here? (laughs) (laughs) So. (laughs) Um, When I had finished my Motown show, I had felt like I wasn't sure if I was tired of doing the same character mm. or tired of being in the Tell industry. Tell the character you did. Because actually, <laughs> I read this online and it's amazing. You did, And you did the show for a while, right? I did. It was yeah. six years that I played Diana Ross. Diana Ross. And a young Michael Jackson. Okay, I didn't read that online. <laughs> amazing. And I'm sorry, where was this? This was like in Europe. So in the UK and Europe, we used to tour. With oh, it was a touring show. show. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Amazing. So yeah, was it was, was it a good experience? That was a great experience. I hadn't really known about tribute shows when I first started in the industry. I didn't even know that was a whole thing or a genre that people actually could make a living off. Yeah. Um, until I got into it myself and, and realized actually it is so popular. Yeah that you know uh, i mean a lot of the audiences when i was doing it you're sort of looking at sort of 1800 2000 like all all the time there's a lot of people love tribute shows and we weren't the only motown show out there and how many how many shows were you doing like a like a week or a month like so probably around four or five i mean there was definitely four or five a week yes for for six years yes are there any like so what songs were you singing and like do you like can you even listen to these songs now i'm trying to imagine like singing the same songs over and over and over and over over. you know some people will be like wow abc and you'll be like no 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 no, no, turn it off (laughs) so what songs were you singing um so diana ross we used to do um keep me hanging on it's a great song. <laughs> Baby Love, Stop in the Name of Love. Oh, that song. Uh, we Be- used to do that as the Supremes. And then Diana Ross, it kind of went from um, Touch Me in the Morning. We did that for a while. Ain't No Mountain High Enough mm. as well. We did that. And, um, oh, which is the... Well, she, yeah, I used to do mostly Baby Love with her, I suppose, as well. Because, <laughs> you know, that's the one every everyone yeah. wants to hear. And I'm coming out. Oh yeah! Um, oh yeah! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always had to be. The I started first shimmying. Song. People can't yeah, see that, but that was, that was just for you. But how do you feel about these songs now? I wouldn't say they're my go-to. You know, <laughs> you know, just on my phone. You know, they're not the first thing. And actually, at one point, a few years ago, I did start deleting or just just removing them from my playlist because mm-hmm. I like to shuffle my whole playlist on my phone. Yeah. And of course, when I start hearing, I'm coming out, You're okay, like, <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that song enough to last me forever. <laughs> How did that time change you as a performer? Um, it definitely gave me confidence. Yeah. I was so bad. When I first, first got the job, um, my manager had said to me that look, we want you to be Diana Ross, but we're going to have to allow the other woman to sing because you don't have enough stage presence. And mm. I was so I was so nervous. It's this strange thing. I was talking to someone about this, actually. This strange thing where, for some reason, you seem to think that people know that you're new mm. and they're kind of judging every movement you make on stage. You're talking about people in the audience. Yes, people in the audience. And you have this assumption that that's happening 
when the truth is they don't know whether you sing the wrong line or you don't sing or whether you're jumping or you're sitting. You know, they don't know. Yeah, they just want to see you Diana Ross. They want to be <laughs> exactly. entertained. Yeah, they're rooting for exactly. you, basically. Yeah. And so it took me a minute to really get to that stage where I was confident just to perform comfortably. Yeah. Um, but once I got there... I, you know, I was glad that I did actually make it there and I did end up learning a lot in terms of vocals and feeling confident that, okay, so maybe I can't do, so in the beginning I couldn't hear low harmonies very well. Mm. Um, and that took a minute as well and I really was just like, well, I'm just never gonna do them. I'm just not gonna do it. Just give me the high harmony and I'll be fine. Yeah. And I was kind of forced to do the low harmony at one point and I'm glad I was now because now whenever I have to do songs or anything like that, I'm glad I can hear where all the harmonies are and yeah. I can figure the whole thing out. And um, I was an alto and I also had to sing some tenor lines sometimes. So I'm like, can also be the most boring thing in the world to sing an alto or a tenor part because you're like you're there you're supporting the but it's it's true it does change how you how you listen to how music is is put together yes, right and you can yeah. hear all the you can hear all the sounds yeah differently well, that is honestly I I I just I imagining you like going to like all over Europe and these these packed halls of people who are like we're seeing the Motown people tonight in like German and and <laughs> yeah, and right. like Czech and you know I mean that's what a amazing so your time though with them with with uh, with Michael and Diana <laughs> comes to an end and then yes. what what do you want I'm still trying to draw that line <laughs> to this moment so I um, had met someone <gasps> who <laughs> <laughs> met someone <laughs> met someone yes uh who was australian oh. and that compelled me to come out of motown and move in a different direction with my life and so i moved to australia with him and at that point like i said i i wasn't sure if i was tired of the show so i allowed myself to do whatever i wanted but I did inevitably find myself back in the industry. Mm. And um, I was doing a cabaret dinner show and the choreographer for the dancers, his partner, he was a talent scout. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, if you want to be in this industry, maybe you should talk to him he he he'll he knows quite a lot about dealing with people that want to maybe be on the other side of the pond so i went to speak to him because overall australia didn't work for me as somewhere to perform yeah um i've heard, i mean we've heard that on this on this podcast a few times um including from uh, your when calls the heart colleague loretta you know talking about how far you can go in australia you yeah. know um and i mean there's a dynamic industry there as well but you can only get so far you right? can and i mean cruises ended up being something i would have had to actually just accept and yeah. if i wanted to stay there and do it and also at the time my agent was very honest and which i very much appreciated he said i mean look there's not you have to represent a portion of society and there are the indigenous and then there are white people there's not many black people mm -hmm. so it's 
it, it's going to be difficult to find you work. And they're not, yeah, there are not that many roles for black people specifically. It, specifically, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not in either of those categories. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, then he said, in all honesty, well, the Lion King's going to be coming here in, in, in two years. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, and I appreciated that. And I mean, I could see it when I was walking around, you yeah. know, I was clear minority. Um, so when I did go and speak to the talent scout, he said to me that um, I could consider L.A., but in his opinion, Vancouver might be a better option for me. Oh. Um, because in terms of getting into Canada, you can get a general working holiday. Mm-hmm. And just generally see how you feel right. about being in the industry. And obviously because Vancouver does American content more than Toronto does. Yeah. And then he also said, well, there's not that many black actresses in Vancouver at the time I came here, which there weren't. Yeah. So he said, over Toronto, you will probably have, you're just in a smaller pool so you'll have better opportunities yeah um, and of course the time it takes to get into LA you need your O one one and all of that kind of stuff Oh, ones I've oh, heard a lot yes. about the O ones <laughs> <laughs> a lot of articles that I've written about actors in Vancouver have ended up in O one one applications so wow yeah I'm part of a lot of many many O one one application packages wow. I know I know <laughs> <laughs> so I mean so you tell me about then about your arrival in Vancouver, you know, how did it match what you had been told, number one? And number two, like, you know, what kind of challenges did you face? Yeah. So I, I basically, I left Australia in May, in the May, and I decided to come to Canada in the September. Mm. So I got home and I thought, well, I said to my parents, well, this is what I was, that what was suggested to me. And I'm, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm mm. just going to go there for three months and see how things go. Um, I originally went to Toronto, mostly because I knew people there. Yeah. And you know, for safety, in your head, you're thinking, well, maybe it sh- I know they're saying Vancouver. Yeah. But maybe it should be Toronto, you know, because I have people around there. So I went to Toronto and um, stayed with a friend, uh, my mum's friend. I went to see a couple agents there. Yeah. Toronto is a great city as well. It's so vibrant. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I had been there as a child um, with my parents to see see their friend. Um, So I had kind of known Toronto better. Um, But she was actually out of downtown. She was in Brampton. And when I went to originally... (laughs) That's not that's not Toronto. (laughs) That's Brampton. Definitely not Toronto. (laughs) I realized when I got there. I mean, it's like, and also the thing about the, like, cause I, so I spent my teen years in Newmarket, Ontario. Out, when out here though, I would tell people that I'm Toronto, but people from Toronto are like, Art, where are you? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just like North. <laughs> it's a, it's, you spend so much of your time in your car, you know, when you're in the suburbs. Like yes. it is a massive, massive, it's I mean, it's so, a mega city. It is, it's so big. I yeah. mean, it, it just reminds me of London. Yeah. You know, it's, absolutely. it's so big. And um, of course, it, you know when you're younger 
she was driving everywhere. You didn't really notice how far everywhere was mm-hmm. until now I was there. She wasn't driving. And then she explained to me how I need to get two buses and then the go bus to mm-hmm. get downtown Toronto. And I was just like, oh, this is an hour and a half, a good hour and a half. And I just thought, I don't think this is necessarily a good idea because I can't stay with her all the time and I'd really need to be closer to downtown. Yeah. And if I were to stay with her in the beginning, she'd be fine with it. But for me, I I couldn't keep doing that journey just for an audition or two or whatever. So then I came to Vancouver as well. So I'd booked them sort of two days apart because Toronto stayed with her for a week. But while I was there, went to see an agent flew to Toronto, uh, to Vancouver during that week. Saw a couple agents here and then made the decision that I was actually going to move out to Vancouver. Yeah, that's, I mean, we're glad to have you. I'm so <laughs> glad you're here. Um, but what, you know, what was your first impression of our, I'm gonna say our, I don't mean Canada, I mean Vancouver, our yes. local industry and our community that we have here. Like, were we nice? Were we, you oh. know, how were we doing with, with things like diversity and inclusion, you know? And I don't know, I just wanna, I just wanna, yeah. wanna know you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I was really happy when I first came here. I mean, in all honesty, no, I, I very rarely saw other black people when I first came here. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is, I didn't feel like I was out of place at any point. Because hmm. sometimes that can you can go somewhere, that can be the case, and you feel like you're alone. I, I, can't, I can't even put too fine a point on what you're saying. And those moments where you feel alone or you feel exposed as a, as a person of color, yes. they can be really scary. Like you can actually feel like I remember being out, you know, in the prairies. We were on a family road trip right. and um, just being so like going into this restaurant and just being so hyper aware yes. of, of being the only person of color and being aware that everybody's looking and yes. not feeling yes. safe. You know, and there's like it. So that can be very isolating and embarrassing and all of this mix of like toxic emotions. Right. So. So you were not having that experience here. Not having that experience. (gasps) (laughs) No, (laughs) but you've had that experience. I have had that experience. Um, But, you know, I was I was very glad that that wasn't the case here. And I did feel I did feel very welcomed in the sense that when I was going, trying to whatever, get a phone contract or, you know, I did feel like people were trying to be really helpful. Mm. And and I I definitely didn't feel alone at all. It was almost like this, uh, you know, you're by yourself, but you, I felt kind of like people were around me as well. Hmm. So I wasn't, I, I wasn't sort of on my own. And then I would say in terms of the industry and, other the diversity when I first came here my agent I would say was very good at just putting me up for roles that he thought I would be good for yeah either way um and but you know I definitely did notice going into rooms that there weren't many black actresses that were there and of course I I never met another black British actress um Hmm. as well yeah so um that was definitely my initial my initial opinion of Vancouver was that it was the best place to be for me um, when I came by myself and that the infrastructure 
completely the opposite to Toronto is much smaller. I can get around far easier. Get you can literally walk across exactly. the city in like 15 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that was that was great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's manageable, it's manageable, especially if you're by yourself yeah. and you, you don't really know a lot of people. And so I did go to a couple acting classes that my agent had suggested to me just to get to know people around yeah. in the industry. People in our very small community, yeah. really. Yeah. So <laughs> right. who are some of the, first, if you don't mind, like, is there any names you can, yeah. you're happy to share? But like, who were some of the people that you were meeting, you know, during that time? Who who either like gave you great advice or that you forged really great yeah. Great relationships with. So um, my first job was on a show called Rogue, and that's when I first met Johanna. <gasps> Johanna. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. She, and she, Our Molly. Molly, yeah. <laughs> we, we're big fans of Johanna Newmarch here, although I still call her, uh, I call her Johanna. <laughs> Because I have a friend named Johanna Stanga, and she's German, you know. So when I first got to know of Johanna, I would be like, oh, Johanna Neumach. (laughs) Thinking that that's her name. And I have to like, Johanna. It's it's actually simple. Johanna. So you literally met one of the the kindest, most stylish. Isn't she? Yeah. Her wardrobe is... I amazing. I wish I could wear the colors, the colors that she wears. I'm always <laughs> I, I, I clearly black all the time. I'm always yeah. in black. <laughs> but I love that she wears colors and it looks so good yeah. on her. She'll wear like satin green and I she'll wear know. yellows and orange. And yeah, we hate you. <laughs> Johanna Newmark. No, we love her. She's so she's lovely. She yeah, is so that's wonderful. Lovely. Yeah. I, I had finished and actually now every time I pass it I know exactly where I was filming now for that um we were filming round by uh main station main street oh yeah yeah we were filming right behind that station. okay and um she dropped me home because I was living downtown and she's lovely she was just and she <laughs> gave me some advice in the car wow that that's what was so it was just so sweet of her even to drop me home to start with. Yeah. And um, I've had a Johanna ride as well. Isn't she? <laughs> She's lovely. <laughs> and then she was so happy to just sit there and talk to me because I said, you know, that that was my first film and television job. And she was so she was so happy to give me advice and mm. and help me with my concerns, my original concerns yeah. when I first started. So I love to, I love to hear that. Okay, so um, we talked about Rogue then. Let's talk about then what are some of, when you look back at your, at your career to yes. this point, what, what are some of the, either the most memorable roles that you've had or the, the memorable moments in your journey, you know, that have like made all of this worthwhile? Um, I would definitely say when I booked Unreal, mm-hmm. that was huge. That yeah. was huge. I hadn't booked for um, just over a year because my agent was really trying to get me out of principal roles because hmm. hmm. he didn't want me to stay too long in the actor principal stage. So he was really trying to push me for bigger roles. Yeah. And so 
Oh, it wasn't that I wasn't going out for principles, but he would have rather get me into something better. Yeah. So, so I ended up um, when I booked that job, I remember seeing it and seeing what they were looking for and knowing that the pilot had been done in Atlanta. Yeah. And, you know, they did obviously bring a lot of people from America to, to shoot it. So I thought, well, I mean, I'm going to do this, but really I'm just still a little green for something like this. I'm mm. sure they'd see me as being a bit too green still to do something like this. Wow, that's literally what you were thinking when you yeah. were doing the Motown show. You're like, everybody can see. Everybody can see that. It's like, nope, they're not. They don't know what's going on in your head. Right? Amazing. So, I, I mean, I did the audition and I was like, well, this is like, hmm. I don't know. I guess this is what it is. And then I, I remember still being in bed and my agent calls and says, the director wants to see you on the North Shore. I was like, when? When? <laughs> <laughs> like, can, 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 can you be there in an hour? And I'm just like, I'm in bed. Uh, uh, yes, 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 of course I can. Like, yeah. How am I going to get there? Yeah, um, but it is manageable because the city's also so small. Exactly. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was living in uh, Coal Harbour, so I was just oh. by the Lions Gate. Yeah. So that was brilliant. Well, when traffic is moving on the bridge. <laughs> I learned the hard way. Um, <laughs> so it was like, just get up, call a cab, get there as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, and I and they gave me new sides mm. when I got there and I had five minutes to look at them. So I was just so nervous. Yeah. And my agent was like, don't worry, don't worry about it. You've got this. You have got this. And I was just, you so just I, have to show up. Yeah, right. just, You're in your cab that. on the bridge. You're like, <laughs> we're not going to make it. <laughs> what I love about Unreal um, is that it's about the behind the scenes of yes. a reality show, a trash reality show. <laughs> you know, it, were you like a big fan of reality shows? You can admit it here. You could admit that here to save space. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna say the only reality sh TV show I used to watch was sometimes Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <gasps> Okay, you know what? I gotta say, I put respect on on. I've actually never watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, I have a lot of respect though for the Kardashians, especially Kim. As you know, incredible businesswoman. You know, very yeah. focused, all about the hustle. Like I, I have respect you know, for. You just kind of do have to have respect for their strategy yeah because i mean chris jenner in a room somewhere with the map like oh plotting everything goodness. out like a super like villain every yeah. single thing <laughs> yeah and you know the idea that that show came out and i guess you know when i was watching it i was watching it for entertainment yeah but i do love the fact that chris really did you just take anything that you can and make it into something and that's all that's all that they did you can't even be mad at them for that yeah because at the end of the day they found a niche that people would watch regardless of whether you know half the people are, oh this is ridiculous yeah everybody's hate watching but they're still watching but they're still watching yeah. how did it carry on for so long yeah because people still watched it so yeah you can't even be mad at them yeah for that. and now she's like she's going to law school she's like you know doing they made it happen good. yeah they made it happen um are you ready to talk about When Calls the Heart? 
I am anytime. Any t- you're like I will talk about about when calls the heart and Mini and Hope Valley anytime. <laughs> so what did you know? I mean, so you're, the Canfields joined in season eight, you know. Yes. So and it, but for years before that, it has been this like juggernaut fan favorite series, you know, a beacon on the Hallmark Channel, one of the most dedicated fan bases in the world. Yes. Did you know any of this? Like, what did you know <laughs> about when calls the heart? You know, before you were cast. Before I was cast, I can't say I knew a whole lot about the show. I didn't really know a whole lot about Hallmark because at that time I was actually going back and forth from the UK and we don't have the Hallmark channel in the UK. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't something I knew of the movies, you know, that they're those kind of rom-coms. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But that's all I really knew. Yeah. Um, I knew of when calls the heart but you know of course because it was a thing that was filming it was in a town thing. it yeah. was filming and you know i mean i knew i at the time before there was no audition that was going to come through centered on someone like me years ago yeah. so i wasn't expecting to see it so let's that's- let's say that again like let's actually say what it what it was because i i said this in my intro but you know while there had been BIPOC background characters and stuff, there had never been a featured black family or a featured BIPOC cast member, really, on When Calls the Heart. Yeah. So, you know, this this was a huge sore spot for a lot of people in the yeah. industry and but it was also something that was like it was lacking it was missing out on representing a big part of the the population so the fact that Hallmark did you know in the after I mean I think it was 2020 right so it, yes, was, it was you know uh, the it's when a lot of people who hadn't been thinking about a lot of this stuff were waking up in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd and yes. Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor, right? So um, tell me what, what you were thinking when the audition, you know, came across your desk. I'm imagining you at a desk and an on <laughs> side appear. Please don't ruin that image for me. But like when, when you saw on your phone that you got the audition for When Calls the Heart, what were you thinking? You know, I think my first thought, I I, I looked down originally at the size of the role, of course. Yeah. Because, you know, as we we were saying, there had been small roles uh, on the show before, um, but not when it said recurring. And I read the breakdown. Yeah. I thought this is not a role that can only be around for one or two yeah. episodes. This isn't possible. Yeah. Clearly it's, it's they want a family. family. Yeah. Exactly. So I, but you know what? I didn't want to just hold on to that. I thought, you know, do the audition, but don't assume that it's for, you know, people that will end up being regulars on the show. Just, yeah. just go with it. Um, and I, in one sense, I did actually think, well, actually, this could be a good opportunity because really um, it's a very specific person they're looking for and it's a very specific niche they're looking for. And although the casting went out all across Canada, I'm sure. Yeah. 
I think that anything like working as a local, everybody knows about that, you know, and they, they their preference would be to have a local have if a they local. can. Yeah. So I thought you have as good a chance or if not a better chance than anything else with this yeah. one. And just reading the breakdown and, and obviously with t- the time period and everything, I had an idea of who I thought Minnie was. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine her any other way. And I did the audition and I just thought, if when they look at this, this isn't Minnie, then it's not for me. Mm. Because I don't know who else she could be. Yeah. Um, and they liked it. And they, yeah. And so who like we it. see on screen and the way that you carry yourself and the way you speak as Minnie, that's who you brought to the, to the audition. That was exactly who I was in the audition. Wow. Okay, I, I love <laughs> Minnie. Um, I've known Viv for many years as well, you wow. know, and uh, I mean, what a wonderful human being. Um, yes. So it's, but it's exciting to see him kind of in a, like as himself in some ways, you yes, know, yes. like this confidant <laughs> for so many people, like that's who he is. Yes, he is. Joseph is that and Viv Who's is that. that. Um, but like, what about you? Like in what, like Minnie though is so, I love like she, she is so supportive. She's so like level-headed. She's really protective. Yes. You know, especially of her daughters. Big deal that she finally let her go to school. Um, you know, and uh, and also amazing in the kitchen. Like that's like honestly, like I because I'm a, I'm a disaster. I am <laughs> chaos. I am messy. I don't have oh, instincts. Messy, like I'm, I'm I am awful. You know. So tell me though about like the ways you know that you and Minnie are the same, and also the ways that you are vastly different. Um, I would say we're the same in the sense that we are fairly level-headed. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I am definitely someone that will give someone a chance to explain first. I'll try and, and try and understand what they're trying to say. And I feel like Minnie is a lot like that. You yeah. know, she'll, she'll listen first. Um, that's definitely what I'm like. Um, protective. You know what? Since I've had my nephews, yeah, I, I, I see it now. Yeah. <laughs> you see it. You see it. It's yeah. just there. You're just, yeah, that's uh, definitely. Um, let me think. Something where we're quite different. She is quite mild mannered and it's not that I'm not. Um, but I guess it's partly because of the time period as well. Um, I'd probably say I'm a bit more opinion. Although she does have some strong opinions. Mm hmm. And nor does she hide them. I guess it's the way. I guess it's the way she shares her opinions based on the time period. She's. I'd say she's a little more mild mannered than I am. I can be a little blunt sometimes. No, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it at all. Um, I mean, you. You pretty much you walked onto a set uh, where, beyond the people who are playing your immediate family who are actually family in real life. Yes. Um, this, like these cast members have been working together for a long time. What was that experience like? And, you know, did you have any fears around like, oh, I'm coming onto the set and everybody knows each other and my the people playing my family are actually family, like, and I'm gonna be alone? Or like, well, th- like, tell me about the kind of expectations that you brought on and how that matched or didn't match, you know, the reality that you ultimately faced. I'm laughing because I know this <laughs> cast. <laughs> I know this cast and I know how warm they are so yeah right I think it was it was it was so nice to even 
well, actually, before we even got to set, we heard from Peter DeLuise and John Tinker, the showrunner. Yeah. And Erin reached out as well and mm. she, she messaged. Um, and it meant that by the time we got to set, it felt like everybody knew we were coming, mm-hmm. which really made our arrival so much easier I would say to be there and also I knew Andrea Brooks because we have the same management really yes and I worked with her on the bridge and unreal okay so we love Andrea here as well so we'd worked together before um so she also messaged me when she realized um that I was going to be on the show and you know it it changed I guess it changed the initial uh, introduction to what we were doing. I mean, to be fair, in season eight, I didn't actually spend a lot of time with some of the other cast members. A lot of my scenes were with Erin. That's right. Right? Yeah. So um, a lot of my time was mostly spent with her. Right, because you're mostly at the, at the uh, house. Exactly. Yeah, and then she would be visiting. So I had yeah. no real reason to interact with some of the other characters. Yeah. Um, but I mean offset you know and you'd see everybody in the green room but often with the days being up at the cabin all the gear had to go up so it was only us there on any one day normally um so you know that was great to be able to be around erin from so early on and get her um like just get her support and just to work on the storyline as well yeah and uh talk about it amongst ourselves and things like that yeah which which, and I think when you connect on some of those levels as well it can be really helpful in settling in to a set as opposed to oh that's your story over there and this is our story over here yeah um Okay, let's talk about the Leacocks. <laughs> the Leacocks then. I mean, three three quarters of the Canfields yes. uh, are Leacocks. You you are the final piece of, of <laughs> the puzzle. <Yes. laughs> the family, though, on the Canfields has incredible chemistry on screen. Um, what did you do to achieve this chemistry? Wow, do you know... Whenever Viv and I get asked this question, we don't know ever how to answer it because we don't know. It yeah. was so strange. I was in the UK at the time I booked the job. So when I flew back and I was quarantining, I had to speak to just speak to him on the phone. And we spoke about how we saw the family and what we wanted to do with the story. Yeah which we agreed on everything and then when I came out of quarantine I'd done wardrobe and we met up and had um, lunch and everything it was just like everything fell into place yeah we had the same and what was actually so important was we had the same sense of humor Mm. which was great because then we you know we saw what how important the story was to the show yeah. and what our responsibility was but then it also helps when you have a similar sense of humor to the to the person that you're on set with because i spend so much time around him yeah. and you know it is about juggling the storyline and doing it well and being in constant communication with John and Hallmark and things like that. Yeah. So it's nice to have that comic relief between us, you know, and not just, okay, well, now we've uh, dealt with this scene. We'll just go off and do our own thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that relationship helped when it came to his kids as well, mm. because 
they saw that you know we got along very well and so it made it a lot easier for them because certain times because Joseph's character was maybe in town or something or building something and it was just me with Vienna um, you know I tried if she needed anything and she did start to feel comfortable if Viv wasn't around maybe he had to go and get changed for the next scene or something yeah and I always wanted to make both her and Elias feel like if there's something that you're not sure about and you know first times on set you know don't I just know come and ask that is me. bonkers to me too the fact that it's like their first their first roles yeah. you know and you can't tell like when you, you watch the monster tell. they are they are they look so comfortable you know and especially what vienna has for you know for her role and the challenges that her character you know yeah. I, I mean uh, granted i've only seen season eight i don't know what's ahead <laughs> in season nine and we're gonna try to pull some stuff out of you you know but like it's they just they look so comfortable and you yeah. know and it's wonderful that that a lot of that is because we're you know the people that they're working with and the environment that created is so welcoming um were you aware though i mean i guess you you have alluded to it a little bit but i, I love to explicitly state things yeah you were aware though of how important it was right like the you know to see the canfields on screen like when you were filming were you like th- like a scene you're like this is huge because it's the first time they're going to see a black family do this so this is the first time like what kind like what if, if you did see it like what impact did that responsibility you know have on the work that you were doing you know and, and the yeah. acting you were doing yeah no I mean it was definitely so because I'm British African-American history is something I had to actually research yeah in that to that extent yeah. And um, it was trying to really put together something that fit in with the essence of Hope Valley. Because mm-hmm. we didn't want to take it away from that. You know, you don't really want to, to come in and, and, and start turning this happy town into this, like, awful place with these terrible stories. Yeah, I think Viv says that, like the way that he described it when he was on the podcast was like Hope Valley takes place in kind of like an alternate version of like an alternate reality in a lot of ways like you have the the flavor of what's going on at the time but it isn't explicit you know right in I the mean, same kind yeah, of way Cause in- it's, and that's what we want from our shows especially on Hallmark right we want yeah. things that make us feel good we want to see you know friendship and family and love and, yeah and you want to see something yeah. that maybe works out and I mean even in doing my research I did know that um, although it was a small percentage, there were a percentage of black families that did move out of the South and further North. Absolutely. um, And to get away from the Jim Crow laws. Mm. And they did not have, although they did have some pushback, it wasn't the same as in the South. So in some places, yeah, they were allowed to, whatever, buy a property or, you know. So in that sense, for me, I really wanted to keep some realism yeah. in there as well. And if, if yes, yeah, I think they said it was only 8 to 10% of black Americans that moved to North at a certain point. Yeah. So it's such a small number. But I'm like, but it's realistic that we would have done that. Right. So, so I'm happy to, to do that. It. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because I, I really didn't want to do anything that was so far-fetched. Because I don't want people watching it going, well they've added this family and this is ridiculous and they agreed to do that as well Mm. really you know and i i would never want to 
do a project where I know perfectly, I know better and I'm still doing it just because of a paycheck, you know? I would still always want to honor some form of reality. And that's why, and I will give Hallmark their credit because Mm. they were happy to listen and happy to, they've always been happy if we want to get in contact with them. They had a great chat with us in the beginning and said, if there's anybody you want to talk to, um, then please contact us. Yeah. Uh, And the thing is, we've never had to because we've had such a good relationship with telling this story. Mm. Um, And I, you know, I'm glad we could tell it this way because it, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that in, in that time period, nobody ever got anything done. No black family succeeded at anything. Of course not. Otherwise no one would have, you know, that wouldn't have moved on by generations, you know? So it's, I'm glad that we can tell a story of some type of successes intermingled with the difficulties because mm. that's that's the life of BIPOC people. You know, it's not all like we, well, we were stamped to the ground and that was the end of us. You know, it yeah. can't be. <laughs> yeah, we have joy. We have challenges. We have dreams. We've had success. We have, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you know, why why not tell that side of the story so people can see yeah how how you also dealt with adversity as well yeah and i do like the positivity of minnie's character i like Mm. that the canfields in general have a positive vibe and you know and i i think that has to be shared absolutely and i love too that they have become confidants for so yeah. many people in the town and that's only what i've saw in season eight right you know yeah. that like they they become people that you know that other characters can come and and talk to and yes. you know okay i know you're probably not allowed to say anything <laughs> but season nine like can you give us a, a hint of of the emotional journey that we're going to see for for minnie and joseph like what what are you able to say at this point what i can say is there are some loose ends that will be tied up that are for minnie that emotionally it's a huge emotional journey for her to go through and to deal with and um then at the end of it all for her you do see her move forward independently with something that she wants to do (gasps) and that's that's what I was really excited about because just this time round this year it wasn't about integrating in the town and letting people know who we are now it's about being in the town right because what are we doing here because like Joseph is now the the pastor right yes officially officially yeah Yeah. so does that mean you're not in the in the in the cabin anymore in the cottage are you or you can't say you can't say can't say oh no we're not in the cabin anymore yeah we moved when did we move like almost at the end of season was that at the end of the season did we even do any real scenes in the house though i don't think we really did i think it was more that you realized that we had left the cabin not so much that we spent right okay okay 
Okay. Oh, wait. Because I did. I mean, the last thing I remember, I was very emotional at the end. And I re- do remember the very, you know, the <laughs> end where like the whole town comes out that's to, right. walk, to walk say. everybody to yeah. the to the school. And, you know, and that's right. They come to our house. Yeah, that's, that's right. okay. So, yeah, you kind of see us in the house. Yeah. But not for very long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was a very powerful scene, by the way. So we get to see. So you're you're now part of the town, really. Um, amazing. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. Do we have a premiere date yet? The sixth of March. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Before we move on from One Calls the Heart. And you really you, you handled that question very well, I gotta say. Spoiler especially spoilers, especially for a show that is beloved as When Calls Are, it can be difficult to answer. And I guess I do love to ask actors that question just to watch to see how they squirm and tap dance. And you totally shuffled off above you. It was amazing. Um I, we we cannot talk about When Calls the Heart and not mention um the Hardys no. uh, and no. like you're like no no we have to talk about them we do um, they are among the most loyal and the most supportive yes. fans in the biz and I remember I went to cover um, the Hardys family reunion many years ago oh, and wow. so I got to visit the town and I met all these fans from all over the world and I was like or, I was like wow like there are a lot of fans here <laughs> from all over it was it yes. was amazing um, and they are just just in love with this cast you know so like what have you heard from the fans and you know has there been anything that has surprised you at all about this fandom um other than their sheer dedication because <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit i mean loyalty with a lot of shows there's a lot of loyal fans but yeah wow they they are on a different level and it's absolutely it actually was very helpful in season eight because just to know how we were received by mm. all the fans yeah. was really helpful to know that our story was being received the right way. Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways that's what's really great about having such a loyal fan base because they can let you know, well, both ways. <laughs> they can let you know. <laughs> they can let you know or they can let you know. But they let you know. <laughs> yeah. That one. <laughs> that one. That one. That first one. That is, that's wonderful. That's wonderful to do here. Okay. Before we move on to favorite things, um, which is where I'm going to ask you what your favorite thing is of a thing and then you tell it to me. I want to ask you, what is... A Natasha Burnett role. Like, what needs to be present in a character to get you really excited? Oh, I love. I love when a character has a level of sort of um, danger, like strength and danger. Although I'd never, I haven't played a role like that before. Yeah. But strength and danger though yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why maybe because I play nice characters all the time I seem to yeah. feel like I want an edgy character I suppose Athena was a little bit edgy yeah she definitely was edgy unreal <laughs> uh yeah but you know I mean you talk about strength I mean Minnie is a, such a strong she's a strong woman she like is. I would not want to cross her if anybody ever hurts anybody that she loves, you know? So I think oh. there's a little streak of, like, danger there in that <laughs> sense, you know? To love so fiercely can be such a dangerous thing, yes. you know, as oh, well. Oh, it can, though. Yeah. 
Have yeah. I sold you on Minnie being dangerous? <laughs> <laughs> now you mention it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that that's a... Okay, well, I hope to see more s- strong and dangerous characters <laughs> in your future. Okay, favorite things. Okay. You ready to play? I'm ready to play. So basically, these are the rules of the game. Okay. Well, one, it's not a game. Mm. Two, <laughs> I'm going to ask you what your favorite thing is of a thing, and then you, with very little thought... Okay. Answer from instinct, but don't just say words. We've had Tom O'Panicket came on, and I was like, what's your favorite cartoon character? He's like, oh, oh, Woody Woodpecker. And I'm like, is that your favorite? And he's like, no, that was just the first one that came to mind. So yeah, I was like, Katama, you have to actually, (laughs) has to be something that you actually like, okay? Okay. 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 Favorite midnight snack? I want to say crisps. Well, you you can't say crisps. crisps. She means chips. (laughs) Thank you for the translation. <laughs> I love crisps. I love so my favorite crisp is prawn cocktail crisp. <gasps> that is my favorite. What's you your favorite? Like prawn cocktail? Walker's prawn cocktail crisp. Absolutely. I I lived in England for a year. I got married in England. Like I go, oh, I've gone back like twelve times in the last like fifteen years. Yes, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So whenever I go, I'm like, take me to Tesco, take me to Asda. I need my Walker's prawn cocktail crisp. What's your favorite? Um. Oh. Yeah, no. I like, uh, let's see, what's it? I do like, oh, pickled onion. What are we talking oh, about? Pickled onion. Pickled onion. Yes. <laughs> so I'm sure you put together a nice plowman's platter then, right? Like a, a good plowman's lunch with the. Oh, that reminds me. You know, maybe I'll have a plowman's sandwich today. Thank yeah. you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Have you found good, like, British stores in in? <laughs> Vancouver, like we go to um, Celtic Treasures up on uh, was Dunbar. Dunbar, yeah, and they they make my um, I mean they like they have these like Irish potato pancakes that I really like. They have all the Walker stuff. They have um, my fa- I love Bachelor's tomato soup. That's my oh, favorite tomato soup. Yes. Yeah, but like, have you have you found places good places I here have. to hook you up? You know, I need to go back to that one. I haven't been there for a while. Yeah, I've been to the one. Have you been to the one on the North Shore? No. There's a butcher's on the North Shore that's literally round the corner from um, North Shore Studios. It's like, it's really not far. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> and they are a butcher's that have like all the all the sausages and stuff that you would expect. And Scotch the pies, eggs. <gasps> pies. Scotch eggs, the pork pies, the Cornish pasties. Cornish pasties? Yeah. Yes. Like you can buy them fresh, frozen. They do um, the, oh, they had a beef Wellington. Oh. Like they have good stuff if you want sort of. Okay, you tell it to me and then I'm going to put it in the footnotes for this for this episode so people can go and find it if they are listening. Like what do you miss? Like food? Food from home, be- besides oh. Christmas stuff. Like when you think about, you know, food from home, like what are you, you're like, you, you arrive and you're like, I got, I got to get down the pub to have I'm what? sorry, pigs in blankets. Pigs in I blankets. miss more than, yeah. and, and I will keep thinking about that all the Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I called up a butcher's and I said, do you have chipolatas? <laughs> like, um, sorry, what? I didn't know you don't, you guys don't have those here. Yeah. Cocktail sausages. And I mean, the cocktail sausages. Oh, I'm sad about that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Favorite things is supposed to be a happy segment, not a not a sad segment. So I can't even yeah. make pigs in blankets <laughs> of my own. I just... 
You know what? Celtic Treasures, they can they possibly can hook you up because <gasps> they have somebody who like does does all of their baking and makes like makes incredible scotch eggs and stuff for them. So who really? knows? Maybe they can hook you up. You should go. Celtic Treasures on Dunbar. I'm okay. <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> I'm hungry now. You know, I was supposed to, we were supposed to go to England over Christmas because Paul's grandparents are, are there. And actually, like there was up until a couple years ago, like Paul still had his great grandmother. She was, she died when she was 110. <gasps> you know, so That's we actually, amazing. we had five generations of the Firminger family together at one wow. point. But I was so excited for many reasons to go back to England, not the least of which is just to go and like eat. Like just to yeah, go, like just I want eat. A, go to go to the <laughs> go, go to the chippy, go shopping, especially fish cr- and chips. yeah, fish and chips, proper proper fish and chips oh with my mushy goodness. peas. Okay, I'm drooling. <laughs> Next question. Sorry, I was very sad to cancel my trip, but we had to because you know yeah. the plague. Okay, <clears throat> favorite activity to do in your trailer? Read. Okay, so what are you reading? What are you reading in your trailer? Um, I was reading a book called The Storyteller. The Storyteller. Okay. Intrigued. It's, uh, it's actually about, it's a fictional story about, um, a woman who is at a grief counseling group. She meets an old, a 90 year old gentleman who ends up telling her that he is, uh, used to be an SS guard. (gasps) And yes. It's the, uh, she's trying to work out whether she, well, she wants to shop him for his war crimes. Yeah. And then the story is a little, takes a little turn and you sort of, you hear his backstory and it kind of starts to open your mind. Okay. I'll put a link in the footnotes so people can (laughs) find, find that one as well. The storyteller. Okay. Favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, that you haven't appeared in yet? Supernatural. Every time somebody comes in here and says Supernatural, I'm like, how were you not on Supernatural? That show ran I, for 93 years. I know, I know. I know. Do you know, I don't even know if I answered that more so because you said that I haven't been on yet and all I thought of was all these Supernatural auditions in my emails. Ugh. <laughs> Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, this next question seems like it was written just for you. Okay. But it wasn't. But it's it's perfect. Okay. Favorite tea? Jasmine. That was an unexpected answer. <laughs> Bet you're going to be like, you know, a Twinnings or, or like... Oh, okay. Oh, PG or, or, tips. Yeah, PG tips. <laughs> My husband drinks builder's tea, and it's like you, you're only okay. supposed to put it in for like a few seconds, and then you get all the caffeine you're going to need for. <laughs> but jasmine tea. So, like, do you have a lot of rituals around drinking tea? You know, or do you, or like, because like for me, it's like I, it's like okay, like I'm sorry to say this, and like to my Indian <laughs> relatives who are going to be like, what? Um, it's true. I find that making tea, it's like it's it's like a work, like a, it takes work for me to do it because it's like not with coffee where it's like an automatic thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to drink tea now and I'm going to read a book while I'm doing it. I'm going to sit here and I want to think about life, you know, like it's like, do you have rituals around drinking tea or do you drink tea the way that like that like Americans drink coffee? <laughs> uh, I don't really have a ritual, but it all depends. There are certain times if it's doing the day in the morning, I'll just 
just would like a cup of tea. Nice. Do you mean a cuppa? Tea. A cuppa. <laughs> a cuppa. Um, in the evening, on the other hand, maybe that's a bit more of a ritual because yeah. then I then I I go the extra mile because it's the evening yeah. and I I put the milk on the stove. Oh, oh. And I and I do it all. It's all dramatic and drawn out okay good so i'm not the only one (laughs) i'm not the only one i just i guess i'm so used to like in england when i go visit family it's like you know i wake up and like somebody hands me a cup of tea and i drink that and then i go down and somebody yeah with a biscuit no then i have we have breakfast you know beans on toast or whatever (laughs) with a stewed tomato um and then you go somewhere to drink tea and you go somewhere else to buy tea and then it's like everything is like tea and like by the end of the day i'm so jacked on tea Tea. but it's like but it's also it's very seems very utilitarian as well you know you drink tea also to power you through and also because it's so fucking well i swear on my podcast it's so (laughs) fucking damp as well you gotta warm yourself up you know so i like to hear of like it's it's unusual for me to hear uh, somebody from England talk about, you know, the ritual of <laughs> I will sit with my cup and make milk on the stove. Wow. Yeah. You impressed me. I'm very <laughs> impressed. Another question that's perfect for you, I think. Favorite karaoke song? Without you. Although I've never done karaoke. Record scratch. Really? really? You've never done karaoke? Yeah. I mean, I guess... A lot of the songs that you mentioned uh, when you're talking about the Motown show are my karaoke songs. So like, right. you know, like, oh, Baby Love. Yes. Can't Buy Me Love. Yes. Um, you've never done karaoke. Natasha. I know. Okay. <laughs> you, me and the Leacocks and Johanna. <laughs> We're going to go do some karaoke at some point because... It's so fun. You get the private room and then like you, you get like a bunch of fried food. Like there's a place called Fanta City on Robson and uh I've seen that. You've I used seen to live that. Down, isn't that right by the whole like near the whole foods? Is that like Robson and oh no, maybe that's It's I've more like it. Robson and Burrard kind of like oh, that's why yeah. I've seen it cuz that's yeah. where I am. And but like you can get a room for like uh for like you know between 6 and 12 people and you get your own screen and you get a book of songs and then you can you know okay. you choose your song. I didn't know that's how karaoke was cuz it's not like that in England. It's not. No, it's uh, it's sort of anything goes it's just in Oh, down in the pub, pub. right? Yeah. There's no private room in just. Oh, I didn't know about that. No. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know what? When you're going to come back to the podcast at some point and um, you'll answer that question with a a song I actually. That you actually sing in. Okay. Okay. And this is my last question. And I love, honestly, (laughs) some favorite things. Like, it's like my favorite part of the show. I love it. Favorite vacation destination. A uh, cruise? That's not really a destination, though. But I mean, where's like to go anywhere, or like, do you like the act of going on a cruise, or do you have a specific cruise in mind, like Hawaiian cruise or Mediterranean? Cruise I like or? the act of cruising, just the variety of places. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it doesn't really. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really matter 
where per se, but I just like the fact that there's enough to do on the ship. Yeah. And then you're in a different port every day and you can do something cultural. Yeah. And then get back on the ship and do something else. That's what I just just like. And you don't have to pack and unpack and pack and unpack every time you step into a new port. Yeah. No, I love it. Actually, you know who really loves cruising as well? Peter DeLuise. Oh, really? CNN Marie. They're huge fans of I've never spoken. Now I can speak to him about that. Yeah, they love doing the um a cru- the cruise that I like doing, which is the Mediterranean cruise, where you like you do ah. Greek islands, or you do Italy, or you do France, and yeah. it's I love that. I love that too, because also it's like especially when you're going there, it's it can be like it's like an appetizer platter for if you want to go back, back, like you know, you like one of the places you could go to Rome and Naples and Florence, and I might not go back to that place, but I want to go back that, to that place. So exactly, yeah, no, yeah, I like because some of the places you realize I thought this would be better. Yeah. Oh, there'd be more to do. Mm -hmm. And you realize that. Okay, I found that out on a holiday in Tunisia. Uh, I went for a week and there really was not much to do. Once you looked at sand. Yeah. Yeah. Seven days looking at sand. I got to say, though, I am a Star Wars fan. So to go to Tunisia, to be literally (laughs) on Tatooine. That would be amazing. Oh, is that where it is? I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's absolutely, that is absolutely uh, where it is. Why did you go to Tunisia? Like, what what inspired you to go there? It was just that we were thinking of going on a holiday. We wanted a holiday closer to home because we were always going to New York or we'd go on a cruise or Mm -hmm. Canada or something. South Africa we went to, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was... Maybe we should go somewhere that's not as far. Mm-hmm. So we tried Tunisia, but it really was. I've never eaten so many sardines in my life. Although I don't mind sardines, but I like sardines too. Just, but I love them. Very um, literally every day, yeah. breakfast, lunch in the hotel, a plat like this huge platter of sardines at the buffet, and I was thinking I like them. Maybe not as much as this, though. Yeah. <laughs> Something tells me that you didn't get quite a maybe authentic Tunisian experience, maybe. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. That was, you know, we stayed in a hotel. Yeah. All inclusive. And I think that could have been... And we tried to go to some sort of excursions, but yeah. I don't know. It just didn't have the same... You know what? When you go on holidays where you're visiting people, yeah, they know where to take you. Yeah. This was a holiday where we weren't visiting anyone, so we were just you didn't going know. with exactly. Can I can I tell you make a recommendation for next time? Yes. So <laughs> this I love that this is like just becoming like two <laughs> women just talking about whatever. Have a chat. Um, but during the pandemic, so I love traveling, right? And um, I have missed traveling so much. So one of my favorite things that I started to do during the pandemic was to watch extreme travel YouTubers. And there's one that I love. His name is Indigo Traveler. Uh, he's his, actually his name is Nick. He's from New, Ze- New Zealand. Um, right. And uh, but he goes um, and he's such a thoughtful traveler as well. He does a lot of stuff where he was working with UNICEF and raises like, you know, a lot of money for them. Right. Uh, but like he's ta- he's taken us at his viewers to Iraq, Iran, um, um, all throughout uh, South and Central uh, America. Um, uh, all like we've been to. He's taken us to South Africa and to Ethiopia and all through Asia. Wow. He took us to North Korea. You know, and like you're you're meeting. Um, 
people who live there. North Korea was a different kind of beast, right? Because yeah. that, like, he was on one of those like state-sanctioned. Like, you're at this, you're at this uh, museum that's dedicated to the dear leader, and then you're at this museum it's dedicated to the dear leader, and then we're gonna go sing uh-huh. uh, karaoke, you know, with you know, our with like this restaurant that is only for people on this tour. But like that was even just to be able to see, see. even that view was amazing. Yeah. But um, it's really opened my because like I thought I knew. I thought I knew what Iran would be like or what Iraq would be like. You're like, nope, you're meeting, going to the markets, you're meeting the people that are there that and the people right. that live there, you know? And I I believe he is actually, oh, he, he took us to, us. I'm literally lying in my bed, <laughs> like, you know, eating crisps <laughs> off of my tummy, you know? <laughs> I really went there, I really did. <laughs> um, but to um, uh, to base camp at Everest, you know? Uh, and, oh. you know, and your seat, but like, you know, in all of these places, like, I'm like, wow, like, you, you, you see, that there are incredible um, differences between cultures, right? Like, and yes. and the incredible cuisines, and the, but you're also seeing like that there aren't that many differences between us as well. At the, same time, the way that yeah. like family, you know, the, the love within families, yeah. and and um, anyway. Next time you go anywhere, <laughs> go on Travel YouTube and watch some videos. You know, I mean, there's some some people you're like, they're just, they, they don't respect the space that they're visiting or whatever, no. but some really thoughtful travelers. So Indigo Traveler, <laughs> Nick from New Zealand who lives in Budapest, highly recommend. Yeah. But like I told, I told my husband, I'm like, I want to, I want to go, like, I want to go to Iran. You know, I want to go to, I want to, like, I want to, I want to go to Lebanon. I want to go to Egypt. Like, these are not places I even thought that I would want to go. That's good, though, that it makes you feel like that. Because often we only, a lot of places, we only have one very specific opinion of because we're just bombarded with the same imagery. Yeah. Or like, oh, they all do this. They are all like this. And it's like, well, that's not, that wouldn't be fair to say about, the multitude of people and cultures that live where we are, no. you know, so you can't say that about other places. Exactly. And the only way to, and of, and of course, this great awakening has come to me when raw, <laughs> <laughs> unable to travel. But anyways, we will, we will absolutely get there again. This has been amazing, <laughs> Natasha. I've loved having you here and you will come back, right? I, of course I'll come back. This has been like the best chat. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> All the other no, really? podcasters are like, what? What? No, I knew we were going to have, a, have a, a great time. Well, okay. Let's end with some time travel then. Okay. We started with time travel. We're going to end with some time travel. So we're getting back in the tart. Are you a Doctor Who fan? Doctor Who fan? You know what the TARDIS is, right? I, I, oh, of course I do. Of course I know that. I may not know much else. I yeah. know that. You know that. You know that. You know what the TARDIS is. Okay. Uh, time and relative dimension space. Um, so we are getting into the TARDIS. And I want you to go back to... I'm trying to think of the point in which I want you to go back to. Let's go back to you arriving in Australia. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that seems like a that seems like it was like a pivotal a pivotal moment in in your career at least in your life. Yes. Um, if you could go back in time then to that moment and give yourself some advice that will help you navigate the career journey ahead. Yes. What would you say, or would you not say anything at all? That's an option too. You know, all I could think of was just to say, relax. Like, yeah. that's all I would like to say Who to said, myself. Frankie says relax, right? Wasn't that the song? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
relax. That's yeah. all I thought because 100%, I mean, and it happens all the time in this industry in general that you start worrying about what you're going to do and that you're not going to know who to call or you're not going to know who to ask or there's mm. not going to be any opportunities for you and you're not going to find them because you don't know who to ask about them and you just yeah. don't know where to look and you start getting yourself into that kind of mess yeah <laughs> and the fact is is that everything that happened even from being in the UK from being in Australia from being here it all had its own trajectory all had its own journey that was almost like it was going to be that way whether I wanted it to be that way or not mm. so I was panicking beforehand and the amount of times I have tried to force situations yeah and then they haven't worked because they weren't meant to work that way in the first place yeah so that's happened a few times and that's when you panic right you try and force something and it doesn't work and you think oh my gosh maybe this isn't right this isn't for me um and yeah, I for sure in Australia when it didn't start when it started not working out, and I thought, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh! And I'd been working at the cabaret show for a while before I was suggested to the talent scout. Yeah. So you know, it was bound to happen, obviously, at some point, and it was the only thing that would have brought me to this place I am now. Yeah. So relax, relax. I love it. I love it. I won't do it, but I'll say it still. <laughs> you can say it. You can say it. Yeah. And you in the past, I mean, I don't think Sabrina from like 20 years ago would like listen to a word that I, <laughs> that I had to say uh, either. Okay. Natasha Burnett, where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on all the socials? Okay. Let's, let's go with, oh, what's Instagram at Natasha dot Burnett. Okay. And Twitter is just at Natasha Burnett. Okay. There are, we go. Are you sure? <laughs> you don't look I'm very not, sure. I'm thinking about this. Or is it the other way around? Okay. Well, you know well. what? You can find those. You can find the proper ones, whichever one it is, uh, in the footnotes for this episode, as well as all the other stuff that we talked about. All sorts of other stuff. <laughs> all right. Stuff. <laughs> all right. Thank you, listeners. Please like subscribe leave us a review if you are so inclined they help us find even more listeners and we can have more conversations like the one that we had today and i want lots and lots more of this conversation i also want to take natasha to karaoke okay find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram at yvrscreenscene and at sabrinarf the yvr screen scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. I am the only one to blame, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger Dovelay for the original music. Poor not Firminger Dane. Webber Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. 
These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. <laughs>